0: Welcome to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me for interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. This week, we have a unique and exciting opportunity as we focus on the Connected Health Conference here in Boston. Partners Connected Health is honored to be the organizing partner for this world-class event and I am proud to serve as program chair. We're thrilled to share a mini-series of podcast episodes featuring luminaries from our program. I've spoken extensively on the need to make health addictive in a good way. What I mean by that is similar to how smartphones have become addictive uh, with people checking their phones up to and sometimes more than 150 times a day. And I've outlined some of the strategies to, and tactics to, in fact, make health addictive in my first book, The Internet of Healthy Things. Today we're at an inflection point though, growing healthcare challenges like an aging population, shrinking healthcare resources, an explosion of chronic conditions and lifestyle related conditions such as hypertension, diabetes, and obesity are, I believe, well suited for Connected Health Solutions. But capturing data alone, we've learned, won't maintain behavior change needed to improve health and wellness. And that's why I'm looking forward to my discussion today with Dr. Kyra Bobinet. Kyra has been on the forefront of understanding the intersection of behavior change, neurology, habit, uh, in a really, really fascinating way because of the uh, influence of science on her work uh, and, and the sort of intersection between science and design. And we're going to talk extensively about that. Kyra has five words of advice on engaging people in health. Be caring, authentic, and useful. As CEO and founder of Engaged In, a behavior change firm, Kyra is devoted to cracking the code of why we engage in our health. She and her team use neuroscience to make products and communications more engaging. Kyra has founded uh, Health Startups, created blockbuster products, health apps, and evidence-based programs in mind-body and metabolic medicine. She also teaches uh, patient engagement and health design with Dr. Larry Chu at Stanford University's School of Medicine and studied in the B.J. Fogg Behavior Design Lab. Uh, Many of us know B.J. Fogg as a pioneer in this area as well. She received her Master's of Public Health at Harvard and her medical degree at UCSF. Uh, So I'm delighted to uh, have you on a podcast with us today. Kyra, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: So you're very focused on human behavior and what causes us to behave the way we do and feel the way we do. And you've talked about experimenting with your own behavior. You've examined a number of behaviors, including how to get yourself to do things that aren't that are good for you, how to overcome fear. Uh, and other self-defeating emotions. As as you know, I've long been interested in behavior change and finding ways to integrate behavior change tools and motivations in connected health. It is a key ingredient in creating health and wellness and even prevention and lifestyle-related diseases. So tell us, what have you learned in your own personal experiments Uh, about this? And what do you believe are the keys to successfully creating healthy behaviors?
1: Yeah. So, um, the amazing thing about working on yourself is that you realize how, uh, humorous it can be, you know, having a human brain sometimes. Uh, for example, we all have this experience of, I'm not going to do this. And then later on that day you do it, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to drink that. And all of a sudden you you find yourself doing it. And mine, of course, is the vexing Starbucks soy chai, which is my constant practice uh, of how to do harm reduction with myself and and those sorts of things. So you know my my most recent iteration, I would say, on my behavior is intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And I found that, you know, it's it's interesting because when we deal with the world of uh, you know issued, facts and, and recommendations coming out of medical bodies or health bodies like the CDC, it, there's a lot of, um, advice that we have to process. Like, you know, everybody should have a breakfast. And I heard that my whole life. And, and what I noticed with my own body was that if I had breakfast, I would be an eating machine until I fell asleep. And I usually am a night owl. So that was like the worst combination for me personally. Uh, and, and what I, what I really appreciate is that <clears throat> with this new world of uh, metabolic uh, coming together with brain and behavior, that we can really start to steer, you know, in a bespoke way for our own bodies, what works for us personally. And now we just have to figure out how to make everybody kind of the designers of their own health so that they can iterate on what works for them and kind of go against some of the, you know, uh, recommendations, which work for maybe other bodies, you know, six small meals, breakfast, those kinds of things might work for other people. Um, and, and then it's just constant negotiation I find with myself around what I can get myself to do. So in a sense, I'm, I'm two people. I'm, I'm the designer of my own behavior. And then I'm the sort of subject of the study (laughs) (laughs) study of one.
0: (laughs) N of one, well, that's a popular trend N of one indeed. Uh, you, you said that you specialize in both behavior change and design thinking. I mentioned that uh, a minute ago. And to me, that I think is unique in the marketplace. So help us break down and explain how behavior change and design thinking work together. And and yeah. then I'll also, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you use design thinking and brain science to change behavior. So two questions really embedded in one.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um you know, you know, with the physician training that, that there's really no design thinking embedded into that. And Zero. and I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that, you know, through your work and other people's work, that that will become more needful and ubiquitous. And I'm, I'm seeing good signs of those two worlds coming together. And, but just in terms of the sort of mechanism of action, um, if I could put it in those terms of design thinking, it, I find I, I came to it because it closed the gap between you know, what, what people will do and what they know they should do. So as a physician, you know, when you see somebody, there's a lot of around this, you know, you should do this. You should now, now make sure you do that and follow up on this. And there's a whole, you know, literally a, a heritage around physician orders. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we can no longer, you know, we can know more, Order a per, another adult to do something, let alone our own children, right? So, <laughs> so it's about getting real about okay. Now we got to humble ourselves, and the and the thing that really struck me about design thinking and that is is that it always starts with empathy. And you know, I'll I'll speak to that in a second with the neuroscience going further uh, beyond empathy. But even that, it, as a discipline, it's not that we as physicians are not empathetic. Obviously, everybody who would bother to go through that training and that rigor cares about people. But the, um, the, the discipline of design thinking is always starting with step one. What is this person doing and why are they doing that? And asking yourself those questions that then humble you to say, where can I meet them where they're at? And what can I do to join up with them and co-design what would work for them? And my own personal vision and hope is that as design thinking comes into medicine and even medical practice and even into the exam room could there be a reallocation of time away from the fund of knowledge you know history of you know blah 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 i'm expert i'm going to explain all this you can get that from google these days <clears throat> but you know or i could hand you a couple of urls to read up on it but could we spend our time really designing what you're going to do and the systems you're going to put in place when you get home and that—that's maybe in my mind a better use of time to actually get the behavior that's going to be- benefit somebody once they leave the office or the hospital.
0: Completely makes sense. And and tell us again a bit about the brain science part—the uh, relationship to brain science—that's I think unique to your work.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I—I I drifted there. You know, I, I definitely um, appreciated my time with B.J. Fogg. You know, he's an amazing, amazing human being in addition to a brilliant mind. And I guess just because of my more clinical background, I I really became uh, absorbed into how the brain works, not only to give me better ideas and more ideas about what's underneath the hood as we watch these sort of phenotypal surface behaviors uh, that are observed and even interviewed or, or we do research with people. What is below that? What are the brains doing? you know if if I know how the brain works, then I kind of can tell where it's going. And when I'm designing things to help people, what I want to do is work with, not against the brain. and And what I realized once I started looking into all of the neuroscience is that most of the things that I had built in the past or designed in the past or created as interventions in my whole life uh, were working against the brain because they were based on, Assumptions of what people should do and not what they actually do, and so you know, I I mentioned design thinking kind of humbles you down to that that ground level and join up with somebody, but also neuroscience gives you that edge of understanding where the brain's going to go with a particular situation or device or what what have you.
0: Really, really fascinating. So I know you've also written about it in your book uh, called "The Well Designed Life." where you outline concepts based on studying neuroscience and design thinking to empower individuals to live their best life. What are some of those concepts? And and tell us a little bit about what you cover in the book and how we can apply those ideas to improving health and wellness.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think the the chapter that is my favorite most recently is compassion. Um, I think that there's a lot of smart people figuring out kind of the integration and the policy and the the you know bells and whistles and the pings and the the doodads and things like that in technology, healthcare technology. And I feel that you know evolutionarily speaking, our first generation of these things were all about getting our attention. and, even as you mentioned, the smartphone distracting us maybe from some very important things like relationships and our kids mm. and and stuff like that. So now I think this next wave of technologists and clinicians and and folks are challenged and and verging on this question of how can we design the next generation of technology to be brain supportive, brain friendly, um, you know, emotionally intelligent, uh, you know, compassionate towards the user uh you know forging compassion between the the physician and the the patient and the family. And and so, you know, I think, you know, I had written a blog for uh the Connected Health blog, and um I I really hark I brought out a personal story about my father who has recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. And we're in the room uh talking about these things and there's this person in the background, typing while we're talking, mm-hmm. and didn't introduce themselves, and kind of was this this, eff, you know, this effigy kind of okay. person sitting there. And, and I I realize that that's a that's an improvement to the intrusiveness of the EMR systems that came in and interrupted that eye eye contact between the physician and patient. So they were doing what they could to restore that natural balance. But then you've got this random person typing 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 while this very deep very emotional conversation is happening so we have to do better yeah. you know we we could record that conversation yeah it didn't it didn't have to be somebody typing there you know and those this technologies are coming down the line um but those kinds of innovations i think are next
0: yeah i mean the the use of scribes i i think in my own my own personal view is is a uh it's a capitulation. It's, it's kind of an amazing thing. I'm spent a lot of time and energy talking about how bringing technology in should, uh, extend humans, uh, across larger populations of patients, how we need to get that done because we're slowly getting old and old people need more care than younger people. And we're out living our young generation, et cetera. And, and yet, as you point out, we, we make billion dollar investments in, uh, 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 electronic records and then hire a scribe. So we're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> we're hiring people to help us with technology rather than having technology replace people.
1: It's very codependent, isn't it? <laughs> it's
0: so sad. And, and uh, yeah, I don't use a scribe in my practice for that very reason, which I, I, I it's uh, not that I ha- have a lot of conversations with patients about end of life, but but I have. It's dermatology, so there's a few personal moments in there, and uh, yeah. I just don't like having a scribe in the room. So I, I still do my typing the old-fashioned way, but not in front of the patient. Anyway, that's a, a digression. But
1: well, I do and, think, and, that, uh, and, that's, and that's a burden on physicians. You know, right. we do have a burnout issue.
0: Yeah, you know, so it's so when you do the right
1: thing, when you do the right thing to overcompensate for the technology. Um, you end up taking the burden on yourself. Mm-hmm. So you know hopefully we'll turn this corner soon where we'll have the right tools that are compassionately designed and and really you know the, the loneliness epidemic in our society, the everything is pointing to this compassion anemia you know mm. that, that we that we have at scale right now. And it was first disrupted by technology and now I believe technology can, can be part of the answer to its own ills.
0: Oh, and, I, and I look forward to seeing that as, as you create it.
1: Maybe so. <laughs> uh,
0: you, your work at Engaged In seeks to solve what you call the brain behavior gap, applying the latest research uh, with design to increase engagement and in behaviors change at scale. Some of your work has included building a non-threatening app to help people manage a chronic conditioning, designing a workplace to maximize employee happiness, improving medication adherence, and even changing people's behavior to alter electricity use. You also built Fresh Try, a neuroscience-based healthy habit app, co-developed with Walmart. So tell us more about the work it engaged in, how you, what the philosophy of the group is, And as, again, a second component, I'd love to hear more about the uh, work with with Walmart and how that's going.
1: So, yeah, so Engaged In, our work is all about the brain behavior gap. And this is the sort of, you know, fast brain, slow brain uh, aspects of how we live. You know, our fast Mm -hmm. brain is, you know, you could imagine our sort of unconscious mind, our autopilot gear and we live most of our lives in that gear. 95% of our behaviors is, is uh, sort of estimated to be driven off of that very fast, uh, you know, jumping to conclusions, ma- taking shortcuts, part of our brain or, mm-hmm. you know, parts of our brain. And then the slow brain is the more thoughtful in decision making, problem solving, that kind of thing. And what happens is that, you know, we we know what we should do right the slow brain, uh, but we don't do it, which is fast brain. You know, so there's this inertia to our behavior and our habits that uh, we have to contend with. And what we do all the time is we look at a problem, of uh, you know, medication adherence, for example, as You know, this brain brain behavior cap. You know, people know they should take their medication, but they don't do it. Why don't they do it? And we look at the sort of unconscious drivers and the even uh, ways that the brain is shortcutting on that. For example, we had one project where we found out that the medication that, you know, helped people to live longer and, and to not have a second heart attack was being conflated in the mind, same, same with uh, aspirin because the doctors were inadvertently describing the two medications as quote unquote, thinning your blood. And so a logical conclusion for a busy and cost, you know, mindful patient would be, oh, those two things do the same thing. I don't need this extra one that's, you know, expensive. I, I will just do the aspirin. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, the clinical benefit was lost. And and so we, we you know, it's not that people can't choose to say, I don't want that second medication. It's not worth the, the cost benefit to me personally. It's that they didn't even have a chance to and, you know, do a you know honest analysis of that for themselves. And it was all just kind of accidentally uh, you know, part of the fast brain and part of the assumptions that the fast brain made. So we unpack those things and we we find ways to dissect what is the brain doing? What's it jumping to? in order to be efficient and, and, uh, time savings, which is what its primary objective is. Mm-hmm. And how do we get at that in, um, and, and change it or, or leverage some of the natural behaviors so that somebody can, you know, be conscious about what they're doing or, or can do something beneficial to themselves. You know, we, we are all our worst enemies. You know, we started at the top of this call uh, is this, 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 this interview on, my eating, you know, and and my drinking soy chai. And that's a perfect example of the type of thing that we design for all the time. And we've done this for interventions, devices, uh, you know, programs, you know, products, apps, that kind of thing. The Walmart app. So Fresh Try is an example of this as well. And we've been working on this for two years. We just recently launched it. And the 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 focus of Fresh Try is on healthy eating habits, but healthy habits in general is going to eventually be the destination of this. And it's designed for the brain. And what I mean by that is this: you know, fast brain, slow brain. You know, I know what to do. I just don't know why I don't do it. What we realized is that people in our research who um, had lost a bunch of weight, who had corrected their weight, who had corrected their eating habits to be healthy all had one thing in common and we're calling that the iterative mindset it's it's similar to growth mindset which is carol dweck's brilliant work but it's it's both acknowledging that hey things aren't over for me and also i'm going to tweak this I- instead of fail and so what we found is that this mindset of i'm not failing or i didn't just you know even though i binged at that Party accidentally. I'm just going to say tomorrow's a new day, and I'm going to iterate on what I do next time I go to a party. I'm going to have a plan, and that sort of resiliency was to a person different than people who had maybe relapsed at or you know had yo-yo diets or had never even gotten any weight loss uh, you know progress at all. So we we know that you know group A, the iterative mindset group is the successful group that's kind of the core mechanism by which they succeed and what we want to do with fresh try is make everybody else that like group a you know Mm. everybody who's struggling everybody who's kind of not finding their way and what we did was we put habits in the app to practice that were either coming from scientific studies where uh it was you know some clinical evidence behind doing this versus that uh in terms of eating strategies And or we had, you know, specific ideas that people who has exceeded long term for years had used to get there and to stay there. And we put those in there. So instead of me going to my neighbor or my coworker and saying, hey, what are you doing? You look great, which is what people do today, (laughs) (laughs) which is very low probability that it will generalize to me. Right. Yeah. Um, We're able to offer this ecosystem of effectiveness, efficacy that if people have the desire to try and and do something new, that they're picking from things that are actually active and,
0: and potent. Wow. That's really interesting. And and uh, with Walmart, this is, remind me, is this for their employees or this is a product that you're doing in collaboration with them?
1: It is. It, it was designed for their associates, but Walmart is obviously in the community and in a lot of, communities, uh, middle income and lower income uh, especially, and they felt that they wanted to leave this as an open source benefit for the community at large. And so we're trying to, over time, leverage it more and more to shape the sort of public health level of the communities around Walmart as well as Walmart. And and you can say that, you know, Walmart is heterogeneous, you know, it sells candy and it Mm -hmm. has a lot of things about uh, the retail space that it's, it's locked into. And, you know, my feeling is that, well, this is a great gesture of, you know, generosity and benefit. And, you know, I can't say much about the sort of secret plans of it all, but, but it's just going to expand from here. You know, there really is a sincere and generous, uh, thread here that we're, that we're riding on, that, that we are expanding on. And that I believe that they are, you know, investing in it over time and, and longer. And it, it came out before any of the sort of competitor stuff, um, that they're facing as well. So I, I yeah, it's very sincere and, and I feel very you know honored to be a part of it.
0: it. It is fascinating. And how will you measure success? How, tell me about that.
1: Oh, you know, you and I want to change the world, don't we?
0: <laughs>
1: like, like, um, I, I think, you know, for me personally, I want people to heal themselves and I want them to, to be free of their self shame that blocks them from healing themselves. I believe in the indelible power of a person to transform their lives and, and, you know, call me an idealist, but I believe that if, and and I have seen that when I unpack for a person, how their mind works, how their brain works, and I offer that to them, they, they, you know, light up and, and they stop beating themselves up, which is most important to me. And then they start taking action and, and we're kind of reverse engineering out of this, you know, you know, chapter one in my book is about the habenula and, you know, we, you and and I have spoken about this, you know, the habenula being the area of the brain that registers failure and then down-regulates motivation in response Mm -hmm. to a sense that I've failed. Mm -hmm. And so our whole mission, anybody, all of us who are trying to affect change and and health at scale have to contend with this, you know, neuromachinery that we've got to protect ourselves from, you know, repeated failing of, of things like, you know, touching the stove and burning, burning, burning ourselves. You know, this is how we learn, but we got to sidestep that when it comes to behavior change, we have to give people an out and alternative. And this iterative mindset is the alternative. So for me, success is, Scaling that mindset to people who never even heard of this.
0: There you go. And and for the Walmart project specifically, are you? Is it downloads? Is is there a way to measure outcomes? How's that going?
1: Those are the standards, you know, of the field. So we subject ourselves to that for sure. Uh, but beyond that, what I really want is evidence of uptake and benefit that we've translated this natural phenomenon of the iterative mindset into a digital form that is beneficial and helpful to people. So I want stories, I want progress, I want, you know, reports back from the field of, Hey, I've done this and, and it worked for me. And, and I feel like I have that feedback loop with the book a lot. And, and this is another sort of form factor, if you will, of doing that, uh, hopefully in a easy and uh, convenient way for people's busy, busy lives.
0: Well, that is a great uh, summary of of uh, this work. So before we uh, wrap up, I want to make sure that if there's something I should have asked or something else you wanted to talk about, that we give you an opportunity to uh, to do that.
1: Well, I think, you know, my my other sort of passion these days is bringing people into nature and, and having them connect and honor uh, the natural world around them. I think as we As we go into this technology and the technology hopefully becomes more compassionate, I think also we can never lose sight of the fact that uh, we are not robots and we all live and breathe uh, interdependently with everything. So that's part of health too. And I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to
0: Mother Earth. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Kyra, for spending time with us today and uh, always enjoy following along to your success and being in touch. And uh, we'll look forward to doing so in the future.
1: Yes, this was a blast. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks from me personally to Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager, for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash Connected Health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.